Hello, I'm Paul. I'm Adam. And I'm Ben. And welcome to the Film Busters Podcast. The film show with no filters, no prisoners taken, loads of disagreements, but one hell of a love for cinema. If you want to hear three friends ridiculing each other for an hour or so regarding their taste in films, then you have come to the right place. In each episode, one of the team picks a film for us to discuss. It could be anything from a recent cinema release to an all-time classic. So, strap in and get ready to get mad or get vindicated as we guide you through the murky world of being a film geek. If you like what you hear, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram using at Pod. You can also find each of our individual accounts. I'm at FilmBustersPaul. I'm at FilmBustersAdam. And I'm at FilmBustersBen. If you want to use your eyes instead of your ears, you can also visit the website at filmbusterspod.co.uk and if busting makes you feel good you can also support us at patreon.com forward slash filmbusters for exclusive content alright can we just get on with this now please filmbusters so I see uh, in passing and I haven't clicked on it that mm-hmm. the trailer has released for Gladiator 2 has it? Yes. Oh, I didn't even know that come out of nowhere but I'm not going to watch it the trailer I mean there's loads of films that seem to just drop their trailers out of nowhere. Like that Furiosa trailer came out of nowhere. Yeah. And now this. There's like just happening. I, just like, boom. I don't think trailers matter as much anymore because everyone just... I don't think there's anticipation for films in the same way that there was. Like a trailer would come out and there would be an event leading up to the film now because people just consume and burn through film like nobody's business. It's more disposable. So trailers are less of a thing. They make, There's been more of a fuss made about the GTA 6 trailer. Oh, baby. Yeah, that's because that's fucking Beauty. 13 years. Yeah. And it was beautiful. And I mean... I mean, it, it's, I mean, it wasn't beautiful. It was, it's very well shot, but it's like... I'm not like I'm not more hyped because of the trailer. I'm hyped that we're finally getting now. the game. The trailer just, just generic. It just feels around the corner. So it's like, oh, yeah. we're so close. Got but like they, two years. They have to release the online element of Grand Theft Auto 6 almost immediately because if they're like yeah here's the narrative and we'll drop online in like six months people will they always it. do that though they've, they've, they've done that for like the last four now haven't they or those for two that have had online they've always come like a year later I don't think Did that's true really? the first time no, I played Grand Theft Auto 5 I went straight into online no that definitely mm. came out about a year afterwards because there was oh. like such a big thing about it when it came out it was like a whole new game coming out they I'm do sure really, really need to lean into the online this time. I feel like, if because of how long the distance is between the games, they could they could easily like reap the rewards of making. Imagine like a, uh, you know, like the what's the world of magic, Magic the Gathering kind of thing. Do you know how, how like it's an online platform that's like you release packs and there's new missions and mm. and if they make I mean, like that's that, what they do at amazing. the moment, though, isn't it? They just yeah, release it, like the new things you go out and buy and then. There wasn't, it didn't feel like there was an element of, oh, I've got to wait around for players to join and everything like this. And I, that's the kind of bit that was annoying. But I feel they can make it a little bit more streamlined. The servers at the sense. beginning were awful as well. Like, you would get kicked constantly. Yeah, that's yeah, what that I mean. would happen. But they've, hmm. they've, they've worked that out. It actually launched two weeks after release. Two weeks? Okay. Yeah, I've Adam, months. Adam going on about a year later. See, see, Adam is the art of the bullshit. All you need to do, even when you have no idea, is say it with conviction and belief, and people go, "Oh, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about." Talking fucking rubbish. <laughs> well, it came out because it came out on PC ages afterwards as well, didn't it? Because it's a day after, that. mate. 
Because that's the whole thing of like they're saying now they're only coming out on console and people are like, PC. But it's been the same before. I mean, I'm, I, interestingly, I was talking to um, someone the other day who was, he did a uh, thing at university, I can't remember what he studied, some psychology and something, and he was talking about how people um, connect emotionally to places, not times, places. So if they're in a certain area, there is an emotional connection to that area because they forge memories and whatnot and they get great yeah. nostalgia for it. But he said that as part of his study, something that had happened um, in the last five years particularly was this intense focus on people having emotional, nostalgic connections to video game areas and Grand Theft mm. Auto, the online element of Grand Theft Auto in particular because so many people connected with people there, played with friends there more than they saw their friends in the real world. They encountered their friends within the online element of Grand Theft Auto. So when they think of San Andreas or whatever that, that place was called, they think of their friends, they think of a fun time, Los Santos. They think of uh, good times and whatnot, more so than when they think mm. of places in the real world. Mm. It's interesting. interesting. I mean, I can, I can easily just picture exactly me and you, Ben, mm. uh, next to that... that uh, that car mod place and it's down like a little ramp and we all just hang out there yeah. and it's along that big freeway <laughs> it's like we always just be in that place I know <laughs> going and trying to shop all sorts of fucking things it's just it is it's like a, it is like Second Life yeah. do you remember Second Life? I do that was weird <laughs> it was weird it's a weird little it, place it felt like Second Life was a precursor it was kind of ahead of, ahead of the game they just clearly didn't have the tech to make it Mm. engaging enough but it was that thing of log on and be someone else yeah on, online in this weird atmosphere I feel like they need your characters to talk on online this year there's so much why so, why do you need your character to talk because mate? they're so it needs an extra level of personality it needs some GTA 3 you never spoke I know you didn't speak at all but now you get characters that speak you can connect with them a bit more and it's a bit like no, the ones that gives the actual storyline characters that is they actually have their backgrounds on it. But you are the character online, Adam. I know, but you could be able to, more creation in the way it's the, the way they speak and the way they do stuff and like well, maybe maybe they maybe that, do that. that influences like you can pick twenty backstories or something. Mate, you are supposed to be the person though. You haven't yeah, got you a wonder. You're made yeah, to be creating an avatar game, that is you. You want them to interact with characters in that way. They just stand there and get talked at. Adam wants someone to like fill in the life that he's missing in real life. <laughs> Quite, yes. <laughs> he's a lizard, remember? So yeah. he doesn't have a life. No, it's just like Adam needs know, that structured need narrative. <laughs> You're just walking around. With How a do I be human? Yes. It would be good if there was like because everybody's got the same. I know everyone's got the same character. And they will just stand there in the same way. But when you could interact, if you could pick how the character interacts with people, mm. I think that's what it was missing. Well, well you never know. You that never might know. be something they put in. I loved. I just love the spontaneity of online. That you just never know what's going to happen. Exactly. Like even right yeah. now, even right now, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll play a little Grand Theft Auto after this to see what happens. I downloaded it again the other week. It is a beauty. Anyway, right, well, we hope you enjoyed that Grand Theft Auto talk on <laughs> Film Busters. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure some people enjoyed it. Um, yes. uh, right, uh, Adam, it's your pick today. What are we doing? We are doing the Scarecrow from 1973 obviously which stars Gene Hackman and Al Pacino absolutely it's the 1973 round guys this is the second film in the 1973 journey just off it the is. back of Le Grand Boeuf 
Great feast. The big blowout. This one just means Scarecrow. It's not just Scarecrow. Yeah. Before the film began, I was going to be like, oh, I wonder if we'll talk during the film about why it's called Scarecrow. And then just like outright, they explain it yeah, <laughs> in like the yeah. first 15 minutes. Like, oh, well, that's gone. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, so 1933, it kicked off because our patrons, they love to tell us what year we're doing and we all pick films from that year. You can become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash filmbusters and get exclusive episodes. You can come on the show. You can just tell us what films we're doing. It's all very wonderful over there. And excitingly, just to give everyone a little bit of a taster of what's coming, we're doing a, just for the, the main feed, we're doing a, a live commentary of Home Alone 3. And yes. the patrons, they get a bloody video version of it and see us doing it as well. So oh, I forgot that. that. I forgot that yes. we have to be on video for that. Of course, that's why we have the Christmas jumper on. Make sure you wear your Absolutely. Christmas jumpers, boys. Okay. Oh, I will be. I might get a bit of mulled wine, you know. Oh, please wine. do. Nice. Please do. Spicy. The thing Spiced is, spiced wine for this Christmas episode. I've been saying to the boys in the lead up, we got to do it at a time when we can have a drink because you can't do the Christmas commentary and not have some form of drink. So, Paul, make sure you, you get can have a drink at wine. eleven a.m. Yeah, Adam. Some of us don't want to turn out to be alcoholics if we can help it. <laughs> it's one day of having a drink at eleven a.m. on Christmas. You're allowed it on Christmas Day. You start drinking at ten. Yeah, Christmas Day. It's allowed. That's fine on Christmas Day, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, enough of Home Alone. You can have that next episode. Adam. The drinking will be more fun than that terrible film, I'm sure. Oh, yes, I'm sure it will be. Have you seen, have you seen Home Alone 3? I don't think I've ever seen it in its entirety. Same. I just remember seeing bits and hating it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's what it's going to be, pretty much. Yeah, we'll just be slamming it all the way through. Christmas spirit will just be Grinches all the way through. Yeah, we fun, fun regardless of how we feel. Um, uh, let's move away from Home Alone let's uh, talk about Scarecrow Adam do you want to do the staple of every episode yes this, um, is, the, this is the decider potentially now potentially oh yes well it would be because we're not are we doing a quiz we do a quiz next week we will we will yeah you've got to, um, you've got to think of the questions during the film though <laughs> yeah yes that is true <laughs> so are you ready for the questions on Scarecrow yes uh, please are you doing Scarecrow questions so I'm doing questions on films in 1973 because I didn't okay. do the questions. Right. Do you okay. want the scores? I think so. Yes, please. Okay, so the scores is very tight. This could be very interesting going into the next round, if so. Paul has 27.5 points. I have 25 points. And Ben has 26.5 points. Are you ready for your questions? I think, I think so. so. The highest grossing movie of 1973 won Best Screenplay. What is the film? Exorcist. Well done, Ben. Fuck, oh, well, see, I, just because I know that's a big film from that year. I wouldn't necessarily I'll, say it's Best Screenplay, but there you go. I was also thinking, um, is this the 1973 Oscars or the 1972 films? <laughs> I was going to say that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> Thank God Adam didn't clarify. Yes, exactly. Well, Well done, Ben. I'm, on, I'm level with you, Paul. You are? Oh, yeah. For the first time all year. Mm. This caper film, set in September 1936, features a pair of grifters and was the second make it biggest making money film. The score? Seven. No. Repeat that question. This caper film... Yeah. 
set in September 1936, features a pair of grifters and was a big money mill. The second biggest money film of 1973. Uh, of 1973? Yeah. Set in a, a, a pair of drifters in the 30s. Yeah. Two films about drifters in 1973? They loved the drifters. Oh, mate. The I drifters is probably one. the biggest band. I, I don't know that one. I'm going to say fucking... Don't know. I haven't even got oh my a clue. god! I know what it is. I know what it is. You, you I knew sure, what it sure? was. I got the I got the wrong title. <laughs> I what is that it? Was the name. Well, oh, you're going to say you're out, Ben? Are you? Yes, I'm out. I'll let Paul I don't get know. it, but he's not going to get the point. He can just say it. Yeah, half yeah. point. Go on. No, no half point. This has got to go <laughs> to Adam. What is it? The Sting. Yeah, it's the Sting. I was. I thought that's what I was saying when I said the score. <laughs> Why did they like Drifters so much in '73? I the didn't even know what a drifter was, really. The score is a the hero film, right? The score? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's another score as well, perhaps. Silly Paul. I got the wrong film. Well, you knew it deep down inside. I did. You just yeah. knew it too late. But deep exactly. down don't help nobody, baby. Well, look how close everyone is now. I know. Everything will change on the Christmas episode. The winner will, <laughs> it be, will be declared. Adam I will de- could be the I'm gonna do, I declare. I'm going to do ten <laughs> questions and cause absolute chaos. Oh God! Oh Jesus! You're not. You won't be able to think of any questions. No, I'll be too busy talking to you guys and having fun. Well, don't forget exactly. when we're watching Home Alone three, you'll have to think of the questions as we're watching. Yeah, and then you ask them you over the end credits. Can't do two things at once. Are you, are you mad? <laughs> he can't do one thing at once. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. What are the scores? That puts you two on joint 27 and a half and me on 26. Beauty. Wow. But I would need to, you both to get it wrong. That's win. right. That's right. Correct. Correct. He will make sure of that won't happen. Yeah. <laughs> but me and you could make sure that we both just don't get the answers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Adam is> forced. <laughs> That'd be funny. Wonderful stuff. Right, should we move on to Scarecrow? Yeah. You two-bit son of a bitch, you! Eat cantaloupe! You bull-legged rhinoceros! Right, everyone, today we're doing Scarecrow from 1973 by Jerry Schatzberg. It's a spoiler episode, so if you've not seen the film, you might want to go watch it first, because we're going to spoil it terribly for you. There's been two people we've we've done in films before. Can you guess who they are? (laughs) (laughs) The sister... The the child who goes in the fountain. Exactly. (laughs) Got it. Go on. Well, we've had Hackman in French Connection. Yeah. Correct. That's it. That's all he's in. Pacino, have we had in more than The Irishman? Yep, two. We've had two films with Pacino in. Yeah. Irishman's correct. Irishman and... Hmm. We've done two... In a fleeting role... Oh, in a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Correct. There you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go on, Adam. Okay. What's the plot of this film? This is about two guys bumming around who have formed an unlikely friendship. That's literally friendship. the plot summary on, on yeah. the box. Is that actually what they said? Bumming around <laughs> on there? Something along those lines. Um, and they open a car wash. Well, they go to open a car wash and some events happen. Or do but- they? <laughs> Or do they? Yes. I said they go to. 
that was yes. uh, we thought that was the title of the film last week because when Adam was like, and this is the film, two drifters bumming around, and we're like, what? Never even heard of that. <laughs> I mean, it would get straight to the point. It would. Scarecrow is uh, anyway. Uh, directed by Jerry Schatzberg in 1973 and starring Al Pacino, who had just completed The Godfather, and Gene Hackman, who had just finished French Connection. This film reunited Schatzberg with Pacino, having both worked together previously on Panic in Needle Park. Have you have you guys seen Panic in Needle Park? I have it on I've my watch list to watch. Very young Pacino. He, he becomes addicted to heroin. Him and this girl in New York become addicted to heroin. Very grueling. Um, okay. And Pacino, in the same year, would release Serpico. Direct, and which you filmed mm, directly after making this. Uh, when the idea was originally conceived, both Bill Cosby and Jack Lemmon were considered for the leading roles. This was due to Warner Brothers looking to find success in small budget films as they became less convinced of the success of larger projects. Uh, who do you think Bill Cosby would have played and who do you think Jack Lemmon would have played? Mm. Bill Cosby's got to be Al Pacino, hasn't he? I don't know. I feel like Bill Cosby would be the grouch and Jack Lemmon would be the... Yeah, I'd say the same. Although, I just can't see it working. I just could, could not see that working anyway. Um, although, yeah, you're right, Adam, actually. Cosby would have been young, whereas Jack Lemmon would have been a bit older. So maybe. Anyway, Pacino yeah, said true. it was the best script he has ever read and Hackman said it's the best film he ever made. The two actors would take to the streets and pretend to be beggars to get into the mindset of the characters before filming began. But Pacino... Mm, yes. But, well, Pacino was much more of a method actor than Hackman, which actually led to them rubbing each other up the wrong way. Pacino would stay in character in between <laughs> filming scenes and before they would... Uh, shoot a scene he would jump up and down and run to prepare for a take whereas Hackman preferred stillness and silence Pacino later said it wasn't the easiest working with Hackman although I love him as an actor um, the film was shot entirely chronologically with the cast and crew travelling from state to state as the characters did and though the film bombed on its initial release it found a following years later after having been unavailable on home media for decades its cult following led to director Schatzberg to conceive a sequel and a screenplay was written in 2013 the sequel would follow Max and Francis years later after Francis learns that his son is actually alive but the sequel fell apart because of the studio's lack of support and Hackman's retirement from acting what did you say Adam? There was massive spoilers there. Well, well, we've already done it. Already Give the spoiler warning. Yes. <laughs> okay. Very good. A sequel to this film, eh? Okay. Every film that we've covered recently has been like, uh, and then here's the sequel idea. Here's the sequel idea. Or, or the, yeah, not true. the Grombuff. There's no sequel to yeah. the Grombuff. <laughs> no, I would, what would. We did talk about a remake though. If it was made today, who would do it? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, I'll just be wondering what happened to. Um, What's her name? Audrey? Angela? Audrey. Uh, Andrea. Andrea, that's it. Yeah. I wonder what happens to her when she goes back into the house. That's the sequel idea. Very good. Yeah. She ate all of them and it became a cannibal film. Oh, baby, yeah. Right. And then Jeffrey Adam. Jones popped up from Ferris Bueller and was like, hey, what am I doing? I'm just in this outpost here in America. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's actually Ravenous Part 2 as oh well. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's a niche reference for our dear listeners Very who niche. know what we've covered. <laughs> right, Adam, it's your pick. You decide whose first impressions you want first. Ooh. Um, I'm going to go with Ben, me, then Paul. So reverse film busters. Oh, again? Okay. 
Frank you said you said last week that you haven't bid first for a while, so I now I have back to back first. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Keep you on your toes, mate. Yeah. Well, I love Al Pacino, and I've seen so many of his films, but this one has uh, just always been on the watch list. I've never seen. I don't know why that is. Um, so I was glad that you finally brought this up, so that I could tick it off the list. And I found it so um, emotionally engaging more so than many films that I've seen. I thought it was a really good look at loneliness, friendship, and how comfort can be found in some of the weirdest places or the unlikeliest of places. I really liked, and we'll talk about this, I really liked how it shows how both being, to use your tattoo, Adam, carefree and (laughs) relaxed or jovial, but also being rigid and sticking to like a predetermined path are both not conducive to a a well-lived life. There needs to be a sort of middle middle ground. Um, And I like how we see different situations and how the approach to uh, engage with them through anger and toughness might not necessarily be as unhealthy as it seems, whereas treating these things in a in a light-hearted way and putting on a bit of a clown face might actually be more damaging. Because the, at the end, I think, at the end, the man who throughout has been in, in touch with his anger has learned to be softer and has come to the middle ground, whereas the man, yeah. Pacino, who has who tried to be... Um, bit of a clown and 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 use humor and and diminutive performance to do away with difficult situations it, it almost gets destroyed by the world i like that anger and frustration being voiced you know me boys all listeners know me i like that anger and frustration and voicing complaints and whatnot kind of in a way is presented as healthier than pretending it's not happening they're pretending everything everything is fine. Mm. But we can discuss perception of that in, in the episode. Ultimately, as different as both of these men were, I loved how they were both human. They were both looking for connection and purpose in life and they find it in, e- in each other. And and the, the car wash dream doesn't matter. Everyone has a dream in life, but people can forget along the way that there may be other things, other people, other places, other ways of life and all of that stuff. And, and you shouldn't just be so hard bent set on it. And all of it comes down to how good Pacino and Hackman are. Lots of, there's lots of good things about this film, but ultimately, if you don't have a great performance from Pacino, you don't have a great performance from Hackman, this film falls apart. And they are amazing. It was shot beautifully. That's good. It felt like a real 70s film at a time. All good. But Pacino and Hackman absolutely bang it out of the park for me. It's a, a very, very strong film. Very sweet. Very tragic. Lots of heart. Lots of humour. I really enjoyed this one. Good, good. Okay. Um, yeah, so I first of all want to say, yeah, they're incredible, and I can't imagine this film being good with anybody else in it or anyone up to their level. It has to be really carried by your main two characters. Like, the script is good, but, like, it's only as good as these two portray. It's never going to be a film that can stand on its own with an actor in the front who's okay. These guys have to be a bit like Le Grand Booth was a very good script and the actors weren't and none of them was incredible whereas these two it's the other way around it has to be incredible for you to feel what these two are going through um, yeah it's great it's, they say it's journey 
Um, I feel like you're going to remember this film for the moments in this film, and I feel like it is a very, uh, a, this moment happens, this moment happens, this moment happens kind of film. So, but overall it's engaging, and there is some moments in this film that literally had you with your mouth like, oh my God, did that, like, the savagery of, like, life was coming out of the blue. Um, yeah, but overall it's a good film, and I very much enjoyed it. Okay. Very good. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's it's just lovely, isn't it? Seeing two solid actors just working their muscles, and especially Al Pacino, because it just feels so special seeing him do his thing at like such a young age as this. But as for the actual story, you know, I liked it, but but mostly thought it was quite aimless. <laughs> it's one of those that I I. As I imagined, I thought Ben would love, as it's <laughs> as it's like heavy dialogue, very introspective stuff, that kind of leaves you with, as they're saying, metaphors of scarecrows and laugh crows. Um, I I thought you would love it, and I was correct. But other than some nice moments, as a big picture, I think it's pretty forgettable for me. It's just not. I don't think it's my kind of film. So that's my initial impressions. <laughs> Wow. I think that's what I mean when I said there's moments of this film. Like, you will remember the moments, you won't remember how they got between those moments. Well, I Maybe. think you're right. You're, you're right. It is, it is aimless. It, but 50% is kind that's kind of the point because that's, they, in a way, apart from the, the car wash, bumming they are around. drifters, they're bumming around. But also, yeah. that's just how films were in, 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 in that time period which I, I quite like we don't we don't have the structured beats that we have nowadays and the clear mm. narrative back then you there was things like and don't get me wrong there were moments in this film where I was like what's the point in this case in point they go to that bar um, get drunk after they have the dance and punch out that guy and then Pacino's in that welder's outfit and they're all doing a conga line with everyone from the bar and it's like I know, this, this is a bit like self-indulgent yeah that's total 70s self-indulgence. Like, I don't know that you would get away with that now. <laughs> nowadays. Mm. I'm not saying it was better or worse then, but it's kind of like, this is indulging a, di- a director's vision. And that's what's nice, because it kind of feels like, well, that feels like that director's vision. Whereas nowadays, the director wouldn't be allowed to, to do that, and it would be a studio's fucking vision or a streaming platform's vision instead. Not in every case, though. Not in every case. But yes, you're right. I do like that more aimless kind of film as well mm. just in it's basically like a mindset film you're just getting into the groove of these people and getting into their way of life yeah uh, even even to the bit where i know you say about this conga one the one where they're in the other bar and they have this kind of altercation with this woman and then gene hackman ends up sleeping with her and then opportunity bringing back a mannequin yeah there's like a yeah. whole sequence of mannequin it's like what is going on is he about to sleep with this mannequin <laughs> are they having a threesome <laughs> what's going on well, I mean, there is a hundred percent. Apart from what happens when they go to the sort of halfway house prison, there's definitely a homoerotic subtext in the film, mm. which makes you think potentially there was a threesome that was about to take place there. But I don't know that there was. I think it was just gag. I think it was just a joke by Pacino. Yeah, it do, but, but at the same time, you have the scene straight afterwards when they're walking on the train tracks, mm. and it's almost the way they're like being very cagey about what they're saying. It's like has something happened between these two, and they're kind of just trying to brush it under the carpet because he's. I can't remember exactly what he says to him. But he, like Gene Hackman, doesn't want to answer the question. He says something about getting laid in prison. He was like, when, when you were in the joint for all those so years. Even, even closer look to that. 
Yeah, I know. So it kind I, of, yeah. he doesn't even answer that, does he? He just kind of he just cuts yeah, he to the next yeah. scene. Yeah. And then we go to straight when they go to prison, and that's exactly the thing that happens. Yeah. But there's also, even before that, when they first go to the motel together after they get kicked out of the kitchen washing job, Pacino's just having having a shower naked in front of Hackman, and then they go to get to their beds, and then Hackman starts taking all his clothes off and getting into bed. Even at that point, I was like, what's happening here? Is there a... But I, I... think it was probably hinted at at that potential threesome scene but I don't actually think that there is I think I, it was more of Al Pacino's character just laughing and joking around saying oh you yeah. brought that girl home I brought this girl home and this mm. is Malkin but the whole thing is that that, it, that would do it a disservice because it clearly is about connection and finding something in people that yeah. are yeah. different from you when you're lone, when you're lonely this is ultimately it is a very very much about loneliness and about camaraderie and a comfort in people when you don't feel like you have that in life like both of these guys when we're introduced to them are completely apart from hackman who has his dream of a car wash he doesn't have people around him mm-hmm. Pacino he has estranged people. people estranged people both of them have yeah. estranged people yeah yeah, yeah. Pacino and, and and his ex-girlfriend and 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 kid that he hasn't seen and Hackman and his sister but you know for Hackman it's like it's not about the person I just need to get to that goal my happiness is that car wash and then he finds connection in a person and he's like okay me and you me and you will do the car wash but he doesn't realise the thing that's important is Pacino he realises it yeah. by the end of the film that that is more important that's why it's so beautiful there's so many tragic things that happen but it's so fucking beautiful that at the end he's willing to he fr- gives up the dream he buys that round ticket and he's going to bring the yeah. money back for for Pacino. The car wash doesn't matter; the person matters. Yeah, um, it's yeah. It's almost like the other was the missing piece for the other person, mm-hmm. and they they almost start on different ends of the spectrum, then cross paths and end up the opposite of where they started. As yeah. in, like one of them was a scarecrow, one of them was a laugh crow, and they swap they swap hats, as they say. So I think this scare. I love that they brought up what Scarecrow clearly meant 15 minutes into the film because I'm like great yeah. for all its aimlessness of the film it grounds you it anchors you to what this they're what it's to say about, about exactly yeah. it kind of goes this is what this film is about and now you don't have to work it out from the title after the film's ended this is what it's about now watch it play out mm. and it played mm. out so well I th- I thought it was a very interesting fucking premise this this idea of two men one of whom is cold and harsh to the world in order to get by and the other one who is so sensitive that it needs to it reminds make, me of make Bruges. situations I, it was very much that kind of dynamic yeah I can't remember I know, I know all what that you mean. well I know what you mean yeah like the Gleason's the happy-go-lucky more than Colin my favourite my favourite scene in a bar was the one where they talked they're taking the piss out of the uncle like they start taking when he's drunk and then that guy comes in that's my uncle and they just get in a fight and then the fight doesn't lead anywhere and the guy's just standing there in the background like still ready to fight while them two are just like having an argument between themselves oh that's absolutely brilliant well it is brilliant that's the turning point after after everything that's happened because that's where we see that hackman has learned the lesson from pacino mm. he's he's learned to be soft he's learned not to he, he's he he values pacino pacino's gonna leave and he's like, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. And he realises he needs to be soft. He diffuses yeah. that situation with the guy. He k- gets Pacino to stay. But then it's haunting 
seeing Pacino watch that scene because after all the levity, all the jokes that he's been cracking, you see that smile slowly drop off his face because he's changed by what's happened. He realizes yeah. this: oh, there is a harsh fucking world out there, and yeah. it is going to get through and break you down. Yeah, it's, they've they more like take lessons from each other, don't they? Because I don't think Gene Hackman truly changes because straight off is it no it's not in that scene is it that's that's the other bar scene when does he have the fight with the guy is that the bit where he's dressed in the hazmat that's be- suit that's before prison yeah adam's yeah. talking about the one yeah, that happens true. after they yeah, come, they come out, out of prison and they're more like say, joking around again and they're like this is how you true. deal with the drunk yeah and i was wow. thinking that led on to the whole dance sequence and then he decided he will beat the guy up but that was before wasn't it yeah that's why yeah that's why they got into prison yeah yeah, yeah. yeah true true i think that um the prison is where that was the that was the crossroads because we'd see where they stood before prison in prison hackman digs his heels in and it's like okay he's been in this this situation before he knows in order to get by you've got to be tough you've got to put up a surly front you can't take everyone's offer of friendship because you don't know what it means so he digs his heels in pacino's naive pacino's yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, come well. on. Pacino's in, is it pacino's annoyed at him because that's why they ended up in prison or was it the other way around Hackman's annoyed at Pacino. Yeah, even though Hackman was the one who did it. Hackman did it, yeah. And Pacino's trying to be soft. He's like, come on, come on. He, and, and I knew when you meet this burn victim guy, who they never mention, mm. has burns all over his face and arms for some yeah. reason. That's yeah. another thing that's cool about the 70s. You would not get that now. If you, if you introduce a character into your film halfway through who has burns all over their body like that... You'd have to explain it. You'd explain it. And it'd be, you'd cast mm. them specifically for it. Back then, in many ways, it was much more open back then. Because it's like, no, well, so what? We'd, no, we just put him in. We don't have There's to explain it. There's a guy in prison. It. That's just a guy. Right. Mm. Mm. Um, you knew that he was going to ask for something. I thought he was going to try and get the money that they had in the bank at Pittsburgh. Yeah, there was something seedy going on. You could see he was working out. Yeah. But then when it got to that scene, and it's uh, and brilliantly performed by both actors in that scene where, where he's, he's about to rape him because Pacino is doing what so many people have done tried to do in the past which is try and diffuse what's a potentially explosive yeah. situation with humor so that it doesn't yeah it doesn't go anywhere when he's he's he's, he's going get back get back <laughs> he's doing frankenstein's <laughs> monster voice that's it yeah <laughs> Igor. <laughs> yeah um you can see his little face slowly changing the more and more mm. yeah and that's horrible when he's literally trapped in the corner with his like crotch in his face and yeah. it's like oh man this Imagine this watching Pacino, well. like you've just watched him in The Godfather. You then go out and watch him in this, and then you go watch him in Serpico. I, like, I, and what a fantastic actor to be able to do all three in a row, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he is there. People, there is just no real comparison, contemporary actor who was just, as good as him in his heyday. And every single, f- he, I've never seen him bad in a film, man. I don't know. There's been some in the last 15 years or so that are a bit but shit. Even but the Jack film itself is shit. But then in the moment, he, even in the fucking Jack and Jill, he's great. He's the best thing about Jack and Jill. <laughs> Still he does the Dunkachino. <laughs> but I mean, it's a joy. It is a joy to see him at the top of his game back then. Like, I mean, he was 33. He was your age, Paul. And he was doing that mm. right there and, and there and then. It's wild to me. It's wild to me also that like, the power of this man. He made that film 13 years before I was born. My mum was eight years old when Scarecrow was 
made and released. And here I am, as a 37-year-old man, watching this film that my mum wasn't old enough to see when it came out. And the Mm. guy, both guys are still alive today, still out there in the world. Something wild about that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, there's no no mistake in that this film has got like two very powerful performances in. And that's what I, I really do like about this film. Yeah. Absolutely. The, but, and, and I like this this approach to life. It is saying something about life and how people approach it. And I, I like that it isn't actually saying one way or the other is better because it goes... They're both, they're both flawed. They're both flawed. Yeah. And in a way, it kind of goes, ties in a little to what we were saying on the Ferris Bueller episode that both are, you know, the Bueller attitude to life is not great to have all the time. It's also not good to have the Cameron attitude to life all the time. There needs to be that middle ground. Mm. And this is this, actually a good, like, <laughs> tie in these those two films. In a weird way. Like, it is. Yeah. Great tie in with uh, Grand LaBeouf. There were scenes where they're just sitting around eating food and just doing fuck all. Like, that is kind of these, <laughs> and drinking and just getting, like, they're just, there's no point to their day. They're just getting up and seeing where it takes them. And what happens in that day happens, like. So I asked Jenny, what, what, what's the difference between being homeless and, be, and being a drifter? Because it was like, I couldn't really work it out, but it's like, it's, seem, it's seemingly through choice that you're not just going to stay still and beg. You're going to try and make your way yeah. through life. I think it's more like a nomad, isn't it? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. You just don't have a place. You just constantly drift and move around the country yeah. or the world. I, and I did, did, what did you think about that opening scene? What the, um, when they're on the highway and they're yeah. not, and yeah. Quite when funny. they're shouting at cars. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I thought he was shouting like at him. The... I thought Gene Hackman was shouting at Al Pacino at first. I thought he was annoyed with him from the beginning. I was like, what the fuck's going on? Have I missed the beginning of this film or something? Well, he was mm. a bit annoyed at him at the beginning. Because he was trying yeah, to steal definitely. his spot. Steal his ride, yeah. Even though Pacino kinda, was there first. It instantly gets you in the groove, doesn't it, of of the mindset of these two characters. And I like the little bit at the beginning with Gene Hackman stuck in the fence. It was quite funny. And I, th- I think it, it almost gives you a sense that, oh, this is going to be quite a light-hearted film. But then it, 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 it leads you astray because then it actually it sti- it kind of steals your heart with with those kind of moments. Yeah, and then lead you on to the more darker stuff. So by the those time it gets to those stuff, you're already involved. In this film, are sucker punches. Well, it mm. is that it is that whole dynamic between Ma- Maxi and, and Francis because that they have that they have the lightness and they have the harshness, and it's mm. how the whole film plays out throughout. I just yeah. thought that opening shot was fucking beautiful, man. When they're on that highway for so long. The camera barely cuts as well. The weather is terrible. It's almost like they planned it. The wind, the the wind, the wind. kicking up with all the that dust and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and just the dust in their faces, like so moody and, and atmospheric, is is mm. very beautiful, really well shot. And these two guys just there, try, opposite side of the roads, like literally metaphorically, they're there. They're opposite side of the roads, and they're trying to work each other out. They're sort of circling around each other. Can they get the measure of each other? Are, are these people that will make good bedfellows in the future or not and then they bond over food you're right adam they go to that diner and then they bond over cornflakes and eggs and stuff mm. 
but it's the power it's the power of the acting that you you don't even need them to speak to understand what kind of personality personality yeah. they have like Al Pacino just a little smirk on his face okay he's like this kind of more happy-go-lucky kind of person yeah you know, Gene Hackman literally trying to ignore him and not even give him the time of day Every time you, every time Gene Hackman pops up in anything, I always just assume he's going to be a bit of an arsehole, a bit of a crouch. Yeah. That's, just his, that's just his play. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen him not playing. I'm trying to think. Have you ever seen mm. Gene Hackman play someone who's like comic relief or soft? I don't think I've seen him in many films, to be honest. That's what I, mean, that's like... what I was saying to you before when I, I said oh, it's got Gene Hackman in it, but I haven't really... I feel like he's the kind of actor you have seen in a lot of films you just, that you just yeah. don't. Yeah, that's probably it. Because he is a good actor. He just doesn't... You don't ever really call him out in the same vein when you're talking about other actors. I mean, I think Pacino... If you had to pick one out of these two, Pacino is better. Mm. And not in an overacting way, just in a sort of... There's more to, to his, his performance. I'll give you, I'll give you one. I, I can't imagine a grouchy person would be in this film, but he's in the Royal Tenenbaums. Gene Hackman, I'm, I, I've seen the Royal Tenenbaums a long, long, it's long time ago. One of the worst ago. films. He's, he, I can't remember it. He is serious. He doesn't emote. He's kind of like that. He does that Bill Murray type performance. Isn't that ev- everybody in every Wes Anderson film? Yes. <laughs> Horrendous stuff. Yeah. Um, let me fire some questions at you boys. You know, why do you think Hackman wears his clothes all the time? All of his clothes at once? That's what you do. You're ready to move. You're ready to go. Yeah, but so is Pacino. But his is in a sack. He's is it to do with not wanting to kind of lose what he's got or share with other people? So he's like got everything on him. Yeah. So he's constantly in I check so. with everything he owns. Yeah, it's all right and there. That's why he's got his money in his shoe. Yes. Yeah. With him at all times. No one can take it from him because it's with him. Yeah, I like that moment as well where you... um that woman he's sleeping with says he sleeps with a shoe under his pillow and then you get the nice play at the end with the money in the shoe yeah and well even before that at the motel as well Pacino says when when he undresses Pacino's like why are you sleeping with your uh, shoe under your pillow and he says none of your fucking business oh I'd missed that I missed that line yeah he's done it twice I I agree with that I think he, he just wants it all close he needs to he sees the world as very very cold as well Mm. So he just yeah. needs to be warm. And Pacino, by comparison, carries it in that big sort of navy sack. He's like literally carrying his baggage behind him while Hackman mm. has it on him, makes it his personality. But Pacino, he has all this baggage, emotional baggage, but it's disconnected carrying from him. carrying that present around everywhere. Carrying it around, yeah. yeah. Little lamp. Yeah. What, um, and also, he also tends to just place it down and you're like come on man that's gonna get stolen <laughs> yeah i feel like he's never he's never like oh, i need to hold on to this just in case no he's naive to the world in in that respect big time yeah yeah i uh, yeah i i tell you i'll tell you the bit where the film i started thinking oh i don't think i'm gonna like this film because mm. i had been with it up until it took me a while to get my bearings as to who the woman was but when Gene Hackman meets his sister but at first it's not clear that it's his sister I don't think I thought uh, they would try to sleep with him again I thought it was an ex-girlfriend I thought that was his ex yeah, yeah. but then he yeah. he's getting off with this other woman and I'm like what's the dynamic here and it takes ages yeah. for them to mention its sister but I would say overall when they meet those two women the film I don't know I don't the 10-15 minutes there I don't really 
get in line with it. I know they were building character for later, but I, I wasn't quite happy with that bit. Mm. I didn't like the one woman being very ditzy and sort of all over Gene Hackman. Like, this man is quite horrible. And he has clearly, clearly smells with all those fucking layers yes. of clothes on. <laughs> KFC all over his face, and you want to kiss him with KFC in his mouth. <laughs> Maybe she likes KFC. Maybe. But I do like the KFC scene because the drunken performance is brilliant from Hackman. Yeah, where very he's good, literally itemizing all the money that he's got planned for the for the car wash. Yeah. It's very natural. Meticulously, like, even when he makes little mistakes, like, oh, no, it's got to be correct. This yes. is the actual correct. And, it, and and he gets followed up by that great scene when they go shopping for the handbag, and he's like, right, make a distraction. And then Pacino just starts <laughs> running everywhere. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to the point where even Hackwood's like, all I could do is watch this man. If what I see a man running, I'm going to look at him. <laughs> do you reckon oh, that was man. all, like, done on, like, they said to, to like, Pacino, just do something to distract him and he just ran around like it was all on the whim like it, it wasn't in a script I get the impression of a lot of this was ad-libbed throughout mm. that's the word I was looking for yeah that's very funny just thought because you would if you saw that in the shop everyone would just stop him and like fuck <laughs> what is going on <laughs> you would instantly think he is stealing from the shop <laughs> you yeah you would <laughs> and and yeah so it, it was kind even though that bit was good it was kind of this whole segment up until the whole conga line thing where I was a bit like, nah, some of this is okay, like the KFC scene, but some of this is kind of like peddling and going nowhere. Is this what the other film he's in is like as well with this same director? Well, that other film, that Panic in Needle Park, feels yeah. totally, it feels like it's totally improvised from what I remember. Okay. There's more of okay. a story and structure here, I would say, than Panic in Needle Park. Panic wow, in Needle okay. Park is great though. Um, clearly this director likes to get into like an emotional groove of, of personalities rather than yeah. taking a straight down the line story yeah which I like and, and that's the thing I just wish it, maybe that it had been a little bit stronger when they stop off at the at the sisters and with this friend to, mm. I feel like they could have revealed a little something more at that point than what actually happened because all that happened was it, it allowed <laughs> A plot beat to take place which was for Pacino to be like oh yeah why don't why do we have to go to this place for the car wash mm. why can't it be here and it just yeah. kind of I guess it helps the audience go yeah like this is a human connection that Hackman can have here his sister's here he has this woman that he's okay he's only just met but they're into each other so why is he so determined forget that I must get Move to away this it. goal yeah it's that pursuit of happiness because you've built it up in your mind that all I need is that thing, that thing. Mm. And probably because people have let him down in the past, he's like, I can't get connected too like much to form, people. Like strong bonds and stuff. Yeah. It needs to be fleeting. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Those they need for me. There definitely needed to be some. If the, if you say like that, there was there was some like slight reveals. During the dinner table scenes, when they're when they're kind of opening themselves up and mm. getting familiar with each other, allowing you to discover these characters more than anything. Yes, yes, it is. You need that time with these people to understand who they really are. So then later on, when the punches happen and the reveals happen, you, you know. Yeah, everything. you need you need more casual sort of going. It reminds me a little bit actually of as good as great a film as Deer Hunter is. Right, you've both seen it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up to the point where they go to Vietnam, that first hour is painfully slow. The wedding mm-hmm. scene goes on for fucking ages. I remember most of the film being pain- painfully slow. I mean, it is a slow film. I, I, it is a good film, but it's not. Anyway, yeah. it's very slow up until Vietnam, and it goes hand just in hand with what you're saying. That groundwork, yeah, just grounding to be like this is what life was like before. But some films can do that, and you are engaged in that pre-catastrophe type thing, and and other films less so. I do think that maybe there is a truth to what you're saying there, Adam. That because of them just talking aimlessly around the table and and just encountering each other, it's more natural. So it's like it kind of feels like you connect to them because they're just doing normal stuff rather than contrived dialogue like I'm mm. saying this line because it means this for the plot and it advances this sometimes you can just shoot the shit like if the yeah. scene just calls for right around this dinner table if the director's like right around this dinner table Hackman you need to be drunk and you need to be talking about how important the car wash is Pacino we need to see that your character's a bit more laid back about it and is kind of like just freewheeling go and then as long as that happens the director's like okay mission accomplished and then it's up to the actors whether or not they put in a good enough performance, good enough dialogue that the audience will connect with. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially as well, this uh, Pacino's character is is probably more relevant now than ever with with being that being a man, basically someone yeah. who who bottles their feelings up, who who tries to go about their life just making a making a mockery of everything they come across, making things into a joke mm-hmm. to the point where even when these catastrophic things happen in your life you kind of just make light of them and not yeah. really speak about them or or literally work through it yeah hence why it it implodes on him like that at the end that scene on the phone is just like wow it's just like yeah you didn't see that coming man and it's like that whole sequence that comes after is that last 10 15 is just like it leaves you like you've gone on these characters with this happy man even though he's been through this shit, he still keeps his positivity in life, and now you just seem completely crumble in front of you. Yeah. And almost die. That kid but looks that just like him. It did. Very good casting. Yeah, absolutely. Very good casting. But that, yeah, Does Al Pacino ho- have a kid at that see. stage? It might have been his kid. He's just had a kid recently, hasn't he, Al Pacino? Yes, absolutely disgustingly. Him and De Niro both. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, it's, it's it's heartbreaking though to see him um, come off that phone call and just be dancing around saying, "I've got a boy, I've got a boy." It's like, oh man, you shouldn't be bottling these feelings up like this. I know. I mean, and that uh, fountain uh, scene is just like, yeah. That go, go on. Let's hear you. Let's hear, hear your take on the fountain scene. It's just like you just. It's just a breakdown in front of you. It's like, and it's so well. Just like you're kind of sitting there a bit like open mouth from what's just happened. And then you're seeing that and you're like, fuck, like he's not even like this film in this film, you'd expect him to skimp over it almost like there's been moments that happen and they move on quite quickly. And then this is just like, bang, it's just that full breakdown. It's just like mm. the thing to like try and kill somebody, other, someone else's kid or like take another kid just to be yours or whatever you want to, he was going to do. It's just like. That's why that scene works so well is you kind of don't know, you know that he's bound it up and you don't know. Like when you're even when he's being happy go lucky with the kids going where be me cutlass and all that stuff it's yeah, funny man. but it's also like fuck this is covering up something horrible that we only we know it. you can feel something is going to happen with that kid like you know yes and you don't not know. just going to play and move on you just the beginning of that scene you're like 
that kid something's about to happen like mm-hmm. But nothing does because it's not that kind of film. Mm. But we don't know that at that point as an audience. We're worried for him. But uh, yeah, it's a masterclass in acting. It's one, I, I, overall, this whole film is one of ter- uh, Pacino's greatest performances, even if the film isn't. But uh, the the performance from Pacino is like... Yeah, definitely. Yeah. A- absolute top top tier. I That's think- what I mean. You can't have this film without those performances. Like, if they put in Bill Cosby and Jack Lemmon, it would have been good, but, like, we wouldn't be talking about it now, I don't think. No, it would have been I don't scary. know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Jack maybe Lemon. it'd be like the Jack one. Lemon, maybe. Lemon's great. Yeah, Lemon's great. But, yeah, I think that the moment it all, it's unravel when, when he has that abuse when he's so fucked up in prison he's changed but he won't let on too much when they first come out that's why when they go to that bar at first he seems fairly normal but he orders a lot of alcohol he gets drunk himself and as his face turns when he sees everyone else laughing he's like actually I see beyond the laughs now I know these laughs are covering up true feelings Mm. I mean I've got to be honest everything that that woman says to him on the phone is like she's right she's not wrong yeah yeah, and I don't blame her for saying he died. It's like what, what you've abandoned us. What are you going to contribute to this? Mm. He's yeah. to I've already got he? a new husband. Yeah, he he went off to sea. He did. Yeah, but he ran. You don't away. know the circumstances. Yeah. yeah, of why he went to sea. He obviously clearly did run away. But like, if you take into account his attitude to life, anything serious, he he ran has, away. From he has to. Oh no, no, I can't deal with that. Down, ignore yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So it's like. Oh, you're pregnant. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Mm. But then, from a distance, send send that money. I, I mean, I don't blame that that woman at all. I was glad that she did respond the way she dead. did. But also, she probably knows he's just going to turn up and like cause the chaos. Like, well, she, I I think she just wants to hurt him at that point because she when she answers that phone, she's fe- feeling a lot of fucking emotions. She's hurting like fuck. Like, how dare you turn up unannounced after five years? Yeah. At least he called rather than just turn up like he said. And that's the thing. Pacino's very likable in this film, but he did a fucking awful thing. Much much worse yeah. than anything Hackman's done in the film. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What did, what did Hackman what go Hackman, to prison for? Yeah, I was about to say. What was it? Did they say? They didn't say. That was going to be like one of my questions, but they didn't really say it. They only see them go to prison for beating up the people in the bar. I mean, he went away to prison for seven or eight years, I think they said. So yeah. it must have been pretty serious what he did. Peter, Peterphilia, probably. <laughs> that would have changed the whole game. Imagine at the end, he was like, get these children away the from me. <laughs> the police come in. You know you've got a restraining order, Maxie. Come on. Back to jail. That probably would have elevated the film. I'd be oh, like, dear. fuck. Paul was waiting on that plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> When's he going to be a paedophile? That's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> Is it where he got the money from? Did he ever say that's like he might have stolen money? I think he was saying all of his paychecks he would take £15 and the rest he would send to the bank. $15 and the rest he would send to the bank. I think that's what he said. Or for all of his work orders or something that he was getting while he was in jail. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Something like that. It's a a whole thing as a character study and it's a study on how you approach life and how you think in life. I like to try and balance out i used to be very angry i am still but i used to be, <laughs> i used to be very angry all the time at everything and everyone mm. and i think 
at the time I thought it was healthy and I liked feeling that way because I felt like I was protecting myself from situations and people. Yeah. But then I realized you have to let that go because what you're doing is you're you're keeping people's at, people at arm length and you're also shutting down experiences as well. And I changed that about 10, 10 and a bit years ago before I met you boys. I was angry when I mm. met you boys, but light-hearted, light-hearted angry. Yeah, <laughs> These that, damn boys, mate, I'm angry. <laughs> you're a very passionate man, Ben. That's what you are. But it's not, no, it's not even passion. It's that anger seems like passion. If you're angry at things, it seems like, like passion and that's fine but you also like passion can come from from love and and humor and all that sort of stuff as well which is what the film is is showing us to to an extent but it's just that the two extremes aren't right one can't exist without without the other if i was going to pick like on on the spectrum right if we were a scarecrow this podcast i would say paul you want a stick that goes up the middle because you have the right balance of anger at times and joviality adam is he's got it on him he's tattooed on him he's carefree to the nth degree to the point where he he barely commits to anything and i'm the sort of or was the gene hackman side rigid this is the way that things need to be and this is how i want it to be gene hackman at the end now i'm gene hackman at the end and you're nice going to be in a coma very soon adam not speaking and unresponsive (laughs) to everyone by Ben's doing to knock you out yep <laughs> but I, that's a good analogy it, I like it there's got to be learnings in life and this film makes me this is why it's a great film because great films should you shouldn't be able to just a film ends and then you're like yeah that was good on to the next one you have to reflect think does it make you think does it make you yeah just stop you in your tracks and go hmm that's interesting mm. I agree I agree um, it's just, it's probably more for me, it's one of those ones where I like talking about what it's trying to say rather than watching it. Mm. That's how I experience these kind of films. Same with Grand. Grand Booth, it's better to talk about than watching for me. Mm. But the, the unmistakable that it's got some great performances in. I'm not saying that. I like the internal dialogue that I have in my head when watching them though. Because, like, yes, this great, this is why this podcast is so good to me because all the shit that I have in my head after I watch a film you can write a letterbox review yes but you're just writing into the voids yeah this is it's kind of like a good therapy it's like therapy not for problems it's therapy because Mm. you encounter this thing all three of us encounter something we wouldn't normally watch none of us would normally watch Scarecrow we come here and we unpack it we unpick it we talk about things that we wouldn't talk about Mm. mm-hmm it's nice to have a we're we're clearly three very different people as you've said so it's nice to have an outlook from three very different people yeah we like very different things normally <laughs> we like very, very different things but we're also on the same page with a lot of stuff yeah, like, i think absolutely we, we build a caricature about the fact that we uh all like different things but we don't really the mm. podcast host mentality i mean all this is bullshit this is you know the podcast is a lie in many respects as it is for all our podcasting friends because this voice that listeners are hearing now actually not this voice <laughs> right suddenly now. change your voice this isn't my voice <laughs> <laughs> the way that i'm talking now actually is how i feel but when we talk you know when we start up a podcast episode and we're ribbing each other and all that 
Like we don't, we're, before we hit record, we're not talking to each other like that. Yeah, and true. so we true, come true. on and, and we perform a little bit, and that's we kind put of our that's podcast what, and mask on. Yeah, it, and in a way, it's defense mechanism, whether you know it or not. It's mm. kind of a a front because if we actually took away this podcasting host duty and forgot that there is an audience out there which I do for the most part I think we all do but at the same time we're aware that we have to yeah. speak and go now what about this what about that like if, if us three were sat in a pub or a living room we wouldn't go right now let's talk about this we would just naturally come to it mm. yeah and I think this idea of a performance to protect yourself is something that everyone does in life but Pacino's character does it to the nth degree to the point where it is debilitating because he's not, he's, we're never actually seeing his true self. We're seeing his sweet spirit, but we're not really seeing who he is, where we are, where we, we are seeing who Hackman is. Mm. Mm. I know you say this like podcast is also almost like a front for us, but I, as I think as well, it's as much a, a front as it is a, a therapy. Yeah. It works in both ways. It was in therapy. I mean, we, we don't have to, to go into it, but, you know, would listeners know when we did Le Grand Buff that in the past week before that, all of us had had like this tumultuous fucking time personally? Mm-hmm. Exactly. It, you, they, know. you don't bring that in. You take that, you leave it at the door and yeah, you escape. And that's I would film, honestly say that, that the podcast helps me get through it because it's, it's my, my, my outlet just for a little bit of joy in my week. Normality. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, it's your space yeah. to control, and there'll be joy elsewhere, of course, naturally. But uh, you're right; it does. There are times, there are times when I know we have to do the podcast, and I never don't want to do it. But there are times where I'm like, oh, man, I'm feeling a certain way personally, and it's like now mm. I have to get on the mic and and record this thing. But as soon as we Absolutely. start doing it, I'm I'm in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've definitely gone through things like that before as well. Yeah, it's like I've got enough on my plate right now. I don't need to record a podcast as well. Yeah, <laughs> but but it's, it is regardless of that. It is it's because we love each other. It's just nice to talk to each other. It that is, is the therapy. Love it's performative too. and therapeutic at the same time. I would open Absolutely. up a car wash with the both of you. Bless your soul. I'm not fucking washing any cars, mate. <laughs> no, we don't wash the cars. We get a machine to. I'll sit cars. in the office and I'll pound the money. <laughs> we'd all just we'd all just what you call it just sit in the office and watch films and the machine could be doing the car washing that's exactly why we would go out of business immediately <laughs> the machine this is a breaking bad model you open up the car wash I'm going to be washing the money mate yeah <laughs> I've got another um, film comparison to make that this reminded me of after the fact is Pacino's character is Blanche Dubois from Streetcar Named Desire because she also liked to hide truth and wanted to live in mm, fantasy yeah. to the point where it drove her to madness. Absolutely. Wasn't she like catatonic at the end? Well, she was still speaking, but she was... Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought she was on... I, can't, I remember being on a I mean, bed or something. Imagine getting such a trauma, an uh, emotional trauma, that you went catatonic. Mm. It's mad. It felt very... It Felt very uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest right at the yeah. very end. It was mm, that, mm. yeah. Can't remember which came first. This, I think. Yeah, this. And Gene Hackman is the chief throwing the sink out the window. Yeah, 
I like the final shot because it was both beautiful and funny and tragic that he he has to give up the car wash dream, but it's beautiful because he's going back to look after his friend. He's going to go to all that effort to come back for someone, which is beautiful. The plan has changed. Um, and then I love the reveal that the money is in the heel of his shoe, so you understand that. And then the ridiculousness that it ends with him just trying to bang that heel back into place on the counter. And then yes. he just cuts, cuts, cuts to the credits. credits. Uh, the ending is just... Yeah, it's just like, it's like, okay, is that it? That is literally like, you're never going to end this type of film, are you? So it just ends at a point. It felt like a very Coen Brothers type ending. The kind of bizarre scene you would see that would end a Coen film. And you'd be like, huh? They probably would love, they probably think this is the greatest film that's ever been made. I think it, I think it kind of gives you more of a snapshot. Like this is a snapshot of someone's life. It's not a, it's not a beginning to end kind of thing. This story Mm. is carrying on. As soon as the credits roll, it's still going on with this guy hitting a shoe against the yeah a counter. I really, I really loved it. My thought it was a great yeah. Just look at people and how they can be very different, but still need each other, be very connected and whatnot. Be boring mm. if everyone was the same. Yeah, for sure. I had a feeling you would like this film. Yeah, loved it. Yeah. I just want to say shout outs to Pacino several times in the film doing a British accent. Oh yes, he did. Particularly when he was doing the Long John Silver stuff at the end, which is both funny and very tragic at the same time. It's very uncomfortable to watch mm. because mm. it's like, oh, this is kind of funny. Look at Pacino doing that. But at the same time, it's like, what's going to happen? It's the, em- <laughs> the embodiment. It's, it's like the embodiment of, of putting on a... a uh, a brave or funny face to hide your trauma. Yeah. Where be me cutlass? <laughs> like, you know, Pacino, man. He does so much with the eyes. And the other thing, sorry, and the other thing to add about that scene, the one thing that makes that scene horrendously tense is the sound of the fountain is almost yeah. roaring. The whole yeah. time in the background. It's almost like it's a river rather than like yes, a calm, tranquil fountain. Exactly. I mean, it's a pretty big fountain. It is very big. They don't make that much noise. Roaring, splashing away. Anyway. Literally going to the top of it like King Kong. Yeah. Should we do scores? Let's yeah. do some scores. Scores on the doors. Okay. Well, uh, well, you might be surprised that after all of that, I only give this an 8 out of 10. It's not because... It isn't great. I loved it. I really fucking loved it. I just uh, think that for for me, so much of it just hinged on the performance and the script to an extent. Yeah. And and there were a couple of lulls in the narrative overall. But um, I would love to watch this again, and I will watch it again, hundred percent. And I and it is such a great thinker and thing to talk about, and it makes me think about myself as well. Aww. Super strong. Eight. That's good. Lovely. Um, Mine's a super strong seven. Top of the sevens, probably as close to an eight as you could possibly go. Nice if enough. I was giving it, if I was OT, I'd give it a 7.9 and a half. <laughs> I don't think he goes that specific. <laughs> it's nine and a half. 7.9 and a half. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Well, um, I'm, I'm almost on the same like idea as Ben. I feel like it very much hinges on the performances and... I just yeah, wanted a little yeah. bit more from the story for me. So I'm giving it a six. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Can we get a seven then? We get a clear Straight one. up seven. 
straight yep. up seven. So that means uh, it is going to compete. <laughs> I feel like this happened not so long ago, like literally the last. Anyway, the first that film was ends, wasn't it? Right. Up against. Okay. Well, the first film it's going up against is Halloween Kills, and of course, Halloween Kills is better for me. Uh, Halloween Kills is better, but I I can't possibly say it because I gave it a five. So, and I've upgraded my score since. So, just to go with the podcast until I change it, it needs to go above Halloween Kills. All right, yeah. Adam, is it better than Halloween Kills for you? Yes. Okay. The Orphanage next. It's better than the Orphanage. Yes. Okay. Uh, orphanage is better. Still it goes. Shame. It's better than shame. Yes. Ooh. Okay. Still it Go goes. On, carry on. Uh, solo. It's better than solo. Yes. Solo's better. Adam, you agree it's better than solo, do you? Yes. You gave solo an eight. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> well, my gut tells me it's better, so I'm going to go yeah, below solo. <laughs> So what do we fuck do Scott, here? What do fuck we do the numbers. Here? It's all about it your can't, gut. Because Adam gives Solo an eight. Oh, Paul, fuck your numbers. It's all about your gut feeling. Well, mate, this is why you've got to change your scores at the end of a year. That's where it can't go above oh. Solo, I'm afraid. I'd love it to. But the two of you rate Solo higher, so it cannot. So that's where it sits. Uh, it would have battled Wild at Heart next, and I would have said it's better than Wild at Heart as well. Wild at Heart. Uh, so there it is. Wild it sits. Um, it sits kind of like bottom, mid bottom of the sevens. Yeah. It's about 125th, roughly, out of that all the films we've done. That's harsh for a film that's so good. It's actually very near, not very near, but it's significantly nearer the bottom than it is the top. That's harsh. Very, very yeah, harsh. Sure. I mean, for 125 such a great film. sounds like it, but it's, that's how many just how many films we also always done pick good films as well. So that's the thing. That's why it's not yeah. many below yeah. it. It's true. Apart from cats, but then fucking is it? Is where is cats now? Is cats higher than this? How can cats no. be higher than this? Cats is Who gave it like an eight or something? Yeah, but the rest of us gave it nothing. It's still like second from bottom. Okay. Mm. I might change my score of cats to like a minus ten. <laughs> right. Yeah. Bring it through the floor. Well, there you go. That, that, that's that's where it goes anyway. Lovely. There we go. Um, uh, do we go on to what we're doing at the beginning of next year, or are we just going to? Are we going to do that at the end of next episode? No, let's let's do it here. We've already told people that we're going to be doing like so. Basically, we're only doing a Christmas film now this yep. year. We're doing Home Alone yes. three commentary, and then we will return to twenty twenty three in January because we have commitments. We have to get things ready for Christmas, etc., and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I will tell you boys now uh, what film we'll be kicking off twenty twenty three with. Yes? Yes, please. A film that um, I actually already watched earlier this year and actually already spoke about in an end-of-month wrap-up, but I said at the time that I wanted to re-watch it almost as soon as I'd finished it, and I think it would make for a very good conversation. So I'm going to leave my score and my comments up on Letterboxd, but I'd ask you boys, just don't read them, Mm -hmm. because then we can revisit again, uh, because I can't be bothered to remove them and whatnot. We'll be going to be watching... Oliver Reed in Revolver. Oh, lovely. Okay. Beautiful. Oliver Reed in Revolver. You want the um, Very good. plot su- synopsis? Nah. You can do. You do. And Italian... See the opposite side of the spectrum we are. Nah. I know. You I know. can do. He couldn't give a fuck. Directed <laughs> by Sergio Salima, an Italian prison official's wife is kidnapped and the kidnappers demand a notorious prisoner be released in order for the man to get his wife back. 
He gets the man released, but then kidnaps him himself in order to ensure the man's colleagues don't kill his wife. Oh, baby. That sounds good. Okay, now I'm interested. Mm. You should have been interested anyway. I wouldn't pick a bad But now I'm interested, interested. (laughs) But yeah, stay away from my um, letterbox comments. uh, Will do. I will just say that my last line in my uh, letterbox comment was, uh, man, I need a rewatch of this already. So... Oh, good. That's nice. Nice little tease. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. Right. Uh, should we move on to what our patrons have to say this week? Yep. Okay. Well, our patrons, they let us know what they've been watching the past week, the, the good and the bad, and we talk about them and let you know whether we think they're right or not. So first of all, we've got Sean Pan and Nicholson, and he says, Worst was Cats and Dogs 3. I never even knew they made oh, one, but I wish sake. they didn't. My kids liked it. <laughs> Best was the Irish comedy Apocalypse Clown. It's only a 6 out of 10, but still the best I've seen this week. I'm still watching Christmas shit films. It's a good and an ambitious story, great characters, and I liked it. But I think it would have really suited a League of Gentlemen-style TV show instead of a film. Having said that, when the jokes land, they land wonderfully. But I won't be rushing back to rewatch it anytime soon. Anyway, love you guys and all who sail on you. Aww. Very nice. I'm not watching either either of those films. No. <laughs> what was the name of the second film? I only heard Cats and Dogs Apocalypse two. Clown. Oh, right, 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 right. Sounds like a film Adam would watch. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Definitely I does. I watched that, um, I mean, we talk about it in the end of the wrap-up, but I watched that Sharks exploitation thing, Ben. Oh, you did watch it, did you? Yeah. It's very interesting. It is interesting, isn't say. it? Even just, like, the whole category of those, what you call it, asylum films of, like, they're just weird and wacky and like yeah you know that one film that they said taboo the one that was taboo with the sharks in that I watched that one when I was doing my 1001 film uh, journey at the time and I was like this is fucking smart for a film all the way back then with its limited means silent film to be Mm. essentially putting a shark in the film and actually filming a convincing anyway yeah it's a good documentary Paul you you, you would like it as well it's very very good it's been more like they were just saying how they would make a film would be like give me giant shark versus eight headed octopus or something like that yeah and that is it Mm. and then you make the film around that title yeah and it's interesting because rather than sitting through hundreds of crap shark films like Adam has you can watch this documentary and just see the title and one very quick clip from it as well there's so many of them Mm. and they're like oh I really want to watch that one and you're like no, it's going to be awful. They've shown you the only good part of the film. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And often so. the only good part of the film, in inverted commas, is the name of the film. Like yeah. Eight-headed shark. Yeah. Eight-headed shark meets turkey monster. <laughs> turkey and then, monster. And then you see turkey monster and eight-headed shark, and you're like, right, seeing that, I can now go to the shop for a Mars bar. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we kind anyway, of thanks, Sean, for watching Shark Exploitation. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> It's in the same category. Um, should we hear from Jameer Russell? That's it, yeah. Yes, J- Jameer. Jameer Russell. Jameer Russell. He's French, he's still from the Grand Labouf. <laughs> Sounds like you're doing a Scottish accent, though. <laughs> no, Jameer Russell. Maybe he is, yeah. yeah. He's put an R on the end of his name instead of an E. I probably so did that by accident. Paul's done that by accident. I'm sorry, Jamie. I never know you'd do that. You're a man who is very, what do you want to call it? Organised. Anyway, do you want to hear what he's been organised and watching? Let's hear it. Yes, let's do it. Ignore all the naysayers and people who don't know what they're talking about and watch The Killer. Welcome back, Mr Fincher. You have been missed. I can't believe I put off watching this due to the less favourable critiques. 
lost count of how many people have said it was boring or that they fell asleep halfway through. This had me completely absorbed in Finch's unique aesthetic from the very beginning. The voiceover narrative is completely necessary and used to reflect the isolating and self-obsessed world that he lives in. Finch might not be so comfortable with shooting some of the action, yet it does have one of the most brutal fight scenes that I have seen. But this is still his best film since The Social Network and my favourite since Zodiac. Oh, wonderful. Mm. I mean, I, yeah, it's I need to join the party. Now you, you do. Watched, haven't you, Paul? Yeah, I spoke yeah. about it in the last roundup. It yeah. was my top I, film. I, I, I couldn't remember now. I couldn't remember exactly. Mm. But yeah. It's I guess it's very, very good. I need to squeeze it in before we do our end of year wrap up. Yeah, you should do. I still just don't... I still feel like, even having listened to you, Paul, and having heard Jamie's thing, I feel like it's kind of damning with faint praise because both of you have more or less said, it is actually it's, is actually good. Neither of you have been like, oh my God, it's so good. You're like... Yeah, I said it was... It I gave it an 8 good. out of 10. I know, but 8 out of 10... Yeah, that's, I know. But I you're said like, it's it almost is actually a 9. Good. You were not going crazy for it. <laughs> I was. I was saying how great it was. No. <laughs> Adam was the damning one. I said I just had to work out what it was. I was in, getting myself in for. I think well, it uh, is going to be a three out of ten when I watch it. I hope so. Then we can actually truly have a good discussion about it. Yeah. <laughs> We're being me cutless. <laughs> Thank you, Be- Jamie. Best line. Best line. This running in contention maybe. for best line so far. I must say. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, and finally, the man who brought us 1973, Luke Cuman, says, Firstly, I rewatched Le Grand Buff and erased my score to 10 before you released the episode, but after you had recorded. Who knows where that leaves us? Where does it leave us, Paul? It leaves us with a 9 out of 10. Sorry, mate. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Luke. You see how much like Gene Hackman Paul is. He has an idea of how things should be, and he just sticks to it. We try and bring, We try and get Adam. See how ca- carefree Adam is. Adam's like, Carl, we'll work our way around it. Adam is Al Pacino. I told you he's Al Pacino in this film. I'm a Dunkachino. If you start changing all the rules, then it's going to cause chaos and the whole Not list the wouldn't make any sense. All right, Gene Hackman, we understand where you stand. <laughs> I'm going to put my jumpers back on now. Yeah. You're pre-prison Gene Hackman and I'm post-prison Gene Hackman. <laughs> Adam is always Pacino. Always <laughs> Pacino. Always. I'm bringing this feature back. Every film we do now, we have to... Pl- place ourselves in the film it's I'm it's a fun that. one to do anyway mm-hmm. let's get back to what luke was saying hard agree with jamie russell or jr as he calls him about the killer but as he's mentioned as he's mentioned it i'll advocate for 2023's niad or niad based on a true story sports dramas are unlikely to come much better than this don't know what this is when you're presenting the story of a singular individual you better have a top class performance anchoring it in this case we get two Benning's, oh, I do know what this is. Benning's physicality is both impressive and believable, and when combined with her power as an actor, provides one of the most interesting characters of the genre. But it's Foster I'm really here for, and the only tragedy is that there are not enough decent roles for her in contemporary cinema. Her understatedly spectacular performance provides a necessary contrast to Benning's niad and brings the majority of the empathy and relatability to the production. There's as much departure from real events as you would expect, but it's mainly done to satisfy the medium. And if you're fortunate enough to be unaware of Diana Nyad's accomplishments, works to create a great piece of entertainment. I don't know if I was saying that lady's name correctly, so apologies if not. I did see a clip of this Annette film. Be- Annette Benning. Annette Benning and uh, yeah. Jodie Foster. I saw a clip of them over a ping pong table. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kind of swimming, isn't it? Swimming like cross. Oh, is that what it is? See, yeah, from Cuba to Florida. 
Very good. Well, I, oh, I, is that film with I am unaware of her accomplishments. Mm. And it's a 2023 release, so it maybe is. I'll squeeze it in before the end of the year. Nine out of ten, Luke gives it. Oh, wow. Uh, but the bad is 1994's Getting Even With Dad. I've seen it. I forgot. <laughs> you just take a toke on the bong, mate. <laughs> I burped and I was trying to swallow it back. Yeah. Neither Colkin's eyebrow raising nor Ted Danson's fake ponytail can save this creepily toned excuse for family fun. I've seen it. I forgot all about it. I don't even know if I've logged it in Letterboxd way, way you back in the day. Is it, is it awful? Oh, man. I don't remember it. I feel it was fine at the time, but what he has said is exactly what I can remember about the film and only this is Ted Danson's fake ponytail. <laughs> oh man, I have to watch it now. It's on now TV. I mean, it's probably going to be appalling. Most likely. From my memory, I'm going to give it a five. <laughs> it's not that That's bad. what Luke's given it. Oh, is it? Okay, fuck. well there you go. Yeah. I don't think yeah. I'm as harsh on it as Luke, but yeah, the, the ponytail is terrible. I will avoid. I will not be watching it. This is around about the time when uh, Ted Danson was, uh, Cheers was getting to the end of its run. So Ted Danson was starting popping up in films like Free Men and a Little Lady and all of that stuff. <laughs> Keep himself present on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bless. wonderful. Thank you, Luke. Good choices Thanks. there. Thanks, Luke. Well, thank you. Thanks to all our patrons. And if you want to become a patron and let us know your best and worst films, you become a patron just like the likes of Sean Pan and Nicholson. Yes, you can. You can have Jason Clarkson with you. You can have Luke Bennett with you. How about Francis Cipperini? Yeah, we've got the double act here. We've got Stephen Mark from Movie Drone. We've got the single act from the double act, Brent from Home Video Hustle. We've got Mr. Lukey Human. We've got the man who operates by himself. You've got Nerd Revert. We've got... Another man who's operating by himself, but normally operates with two, Julio. We got Mr. Jamie Russell, who always <laughs> operates with two sometimes on a podcast, but he's operating solo today. And you've got Katie and Oti who operate in a duo in all walks of life. Everyone's in, in operating within systems. <laughs> They're for all some surgeons. Reasons. They're all, They're all like master windows. surgeons. <laughs> master surgeons, master patrons. Only one more episode <sighs> left this year, boys. Sad times. I know. Yeah, yeah. It's been a big yeah. year. It's been a shit year, isn't it? Really bad. Mm. <laughs> yeah, horrible. <laughs> but wonderful to speak to you guys always. Always. I've enjoyed Absolutely. it. Yeah. So Until everybody, look forward to Home Alone 3 next time for a live commentary with the Christmas jumpers and a little bit of alcohol. Yes, a little bit of Monica by my side. In my life. A Very little good. bit of Erica by my side. It's Buster's. <laughs>